You are now listening to The Secret Life of a Grad Student. I'm Megan. I'm Laura, and we are two grad students who want to share the untold stories of graduate students past and present. So today, um, with Tom, in this interview, I'm, we're going to talk together about how we manage life balance in grad school in England. But uh, first, Tom, can you introduce yourself, please? So hello, I'm Tom Isles. I'm uh, from England, um, from the south of England. And uh, I went to the John Innes Centre in Norwich for my uh, PhD. And now I'm working at Zymogen in the Bay Area, California. So we're going to start with the beginning. Uh, can you recall how science entered in your life? Uh, when, how, and who was your influence? <laughs> Honestly, I, I knew I wanted to be a scientist when I was a child because my dad used to um, read science fiction to us and got us into reading science fiction. And I always like loved the idea of building spaceships and working as a physicist, like exploring the stars, I think I realized that was never really an option and that physics is, at least from an outside perspective, really boring now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I decided that I, I instead really like dinosaurs. Okay. And so I wanted to... Become a biologist? Well, yeah. I, I, I wanted to study dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are dead. So <laughs> the next best thing was going to study lions or tigers or something and I think I had this weird dream of I mean I, I did my undergraduate degree in Bristol University and it, Bristol University has very good behavioral science animal behavioral science oh so that's why you were attracted to this in your yeah so I went there wanting to I don't know I, I think I was expecting to get paid to watch lions in Africa or something I don't know what was really going through my mind but uh, <laughs> I didn't end up following that path at all but yeah that was always my sort of inspiration was wanting to either build spaceships or watch really cool animals do cool shit. Okay. Cool things. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, it's okay. I'm allowed to swear. Okay, good. <laughs> so, and do you have like any siblings or your mother or whoever else in your family that did every, are you the only scientist with your dad? No. So, I mean, um, my brother is, has also done a PhD. He's a mathematician. Okay. Uh, he works, um, uh, uh, the British Meteorological Society at the moment, um, the Met Office, uh, but um, he's a mathematician by learning and uh, my parents have both done PhDs, although very recently at about a similar time to me and my brother, um, in pretty disparate topics. Okay, yeah. interesting. So all the family, you are all PhDs? Yes, yes. I mean, I think me and my brother, and me and my brother and my mum are more scientists. My dad not so much. He's done a PhD, but it's in computer game design. Okay, oh, cool. So, so very cool. different. What about school? Like, do you, did you have any teacher that uh, that you can remember or anything at school that was making you more being, continuing to be on board about science? I mean, it was really outside that I got my passion for science. But um, in the UK, we can pick three or four subjects to do in quite in depth quite early on, before going to university. And I picked all science subjects for that. And I had a really inspirational physics teacher. Oh, cool. And he, at this point, I'd realised I didn't want to do physics. 
but I really enjoyed the lessons. I thought he was an awesome teacher. And when I told him I was going to university to study biology, he said that uh, if I told him that 10 years ago, he would have laughed at me. Really? But now it's a really exciting area. And I think that, uh, you know, infused me to hear from a guy that I respected so much that biology was actually really interesting. So you were kind of a straight A kind of kid or that was easy for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I worked for it. It wasn't necessarily easy, but I had a lot of support. You know, I, I, I was lucky enough to have supportive parents, supportive family and supportive teachers. So, yeah, I did, I did well, uh, but part of that was me working for it and part of it was lucking out with a supportive network of family and friends. So you say that you wanted to study the animals like in Africa and that's why you chose yeah. the university really yes. that was that was for that and so when did you realize that that will actually not happen like you went into university and it was it was when I realized I wanted to be paid okay. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> it's very hard to earn money uh, as someone who goes and just looks at lions yeah uh, so I I, I, need, I think I needed a more realistic uh and I think also learning about the things made me realize there's a difference between learning about something and finding it really interesting and actually wanting to go out and research something. So I really enjoyed learning about lions, but to actually set up a research study around lions might kill the joy of it. You know, you yeah. end up like smelling a lion's poop for two years yeah. or whatever. Uh, I'm sure an ecologist would get really <laughs> mad at me for saying that, but, uh, and so... Uh, <laughs> no, I, I see what yeah. you mean. I mean, sometimes uh, things can stay as a hobby and learning or yeah. outside work and then other things can actually grow as uh, yeah. more like biology or microbiology. Yes, well, yes, yeah, so I'm a microbiologist now. Um, my tutor at university um, during my undergrad was a microbiologist. And so that's where I sort of got introduced to it and realised that whilst it on the outside wasn't as interesting as lines, it was uh, more fun to do, more interesting. In your undergrad, like, when did it start this, like, tutor with you in microbiology? Like, was it second, third year? Like, was it really early in your In my undergrad? second year. In my in second year, year, we had, like, a one-week project with a scientist, and I ended up doing it with my uh, tutor who was the microbiologist, and we just did one week of microbiology, and I realized that I actually really enjoyed it. And then I ended up working in his lab for 10 weeks over the summer, oh, doing an internship, and that's when I realized, yeah, this was what I found really interesting. Didn't really understand anything of that I was doing, Yeah, but I found it interesting. Usually the first internship in microbiology is kind yeah. of like that. Yeah, yeah. What's going on? <laughs> What's an NRPS? I don't know. You're like, oh, is it DNA? No, no, that's protein. Oh, okay. <laughs> Precisely, yeah. 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 Okay, um, that's super cool. And so did you did you know that you wanted to do a PhD? Because you said that your parents kind of did the PhD at the same time than you did with your Yeah, partner. so I think my mum finished her PhD during my undergrad and my dad finished his PhD during my PhD. Okay. Um, I don't really think their their decisions to do it really played much into mine because, um, you know, they hadn't been scientists their whole life. Yeah. And I was doing a PhD not to get a PhD. I was doing a PhD as a route into science. So their, their decision to do PhDs didn't really play into it much. It was just I realised that I really enjoyed doing the research in microbiology and figured that 
I wanted to do that for the rest of my life and I'd need a PhD to be able to. And so how how did you found your PhD school? Like how did you uh, pick up your lab? How was it? Was it difficult? Wanted to, to stay in England or because now you're in California, yeah. but so you kind of travel too. Um, yeah, I very nearly ended up doing it in Germany. Uh, the reason I didn't is because in Germany I would have needed a master's degree and I didn't have a master's degree. Okay. And so there was the choice between... So your undergrad was like three or four years? Three years. Three years. And then I didn't do a master's. And so there was a choice then between paying to do a master's or getting paid to do a PhD, <laughs> but being limited in England to do it. And so I half wish I had gone to Germany or I had gone even more adventurous and gone to the US to do my PhD. Yeah. But because I wanted to just sort of get it done as soon as possible. I stayed in England and uh, looked around for places there where I could do it with just my, just my undergrad, my three-year undergrad. So that's interesting. You say you wanted to be done as soon as possible. Was yeah. there a reason for that? Maybe. I guess like there was probably a misplaced uh, sense of pride in doing things early. Yeah. You know, finishing a PhD by the time you're 25 is kind of exciting. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I don't think there's any real reason for that pride. You know, that was I... a, and it's less important now than it was six years ago when I started my PhD, when I was applying for PhDs. Other than that, I think I just, I had this sort of notion in my mind that the longer I took a gap between my undergrad and my PhD, the harder it would be to pick and choose PhDs. Okay. Um, that's not necessarily doing a master's, but that's like if I decided I wanted a year out to travel or a year out to do other things. And yeah. so it was sort of, in my mind, I decided that I needed to do something straight after the undergrad, and then I had a choice between either getting into a PhD or doing a master's first. And so did you find easily a lab to do your PhD? Yeah. Um, so it was harder to find something I was definitely interested in. There was, there's sort of a, a good, I'm not sure if it's the same elsewhere, but in the UK there's a very good website where it just lists all the PhDs available and they're all advertised in the same place, which is very convenient. So I could just scroll through and look for the stuff I was interested in. And I knew I was interested in microbiology, but very specific parts of microbiology. And so I did end up applying to a few places and I got interviews at a few places. And where I ended up going, the John Inner Centre, was somewhere I kind of just... They interviewed me first, offered me a position first, and I accepted there because I didn't. Uh, I needed to accept before uh, I would get offers at other places. As in the, the deadline for accepting the John Innes offer was prior to when I was gonna receive offers from other places. So I just accepted the John Innes Center in case I wouldn't get anywhere else. It was very sort of off the cuff, sort of there wasn't, I- No time lose, yeah, no time lose. at the time I didn't know whether I was like, uh, <laughs> Yeah, whether whether it would have been the best decision, but it was one where I was like, almost panic making the decision. I was like, this is my last chance to ever do a PhD. I better accept this one <laughs> offer. Uh, maybe that was poorly thought out, but at the time that was the thought process. Yeah. And so how long did you take PhD? Uh, it was a four-year PhD. Okay. Which is pretty standard for UK biology PhDs. They're often a hard limit, four-year. So how would you define your work culture in the lab? So I think the the institute as a whole had a big variety so the john in the center where i ended up doing it has a quite a diverse number of groups you know um, doing quite a diverse range of topics and so some were really stressful and angry some were very calm and pleasant 
we were in a little microbiology bubble where um, there was a, it, we had sort of within the group a lot of diversity in how much people worked and how stressed people were, but there was a general good atmosphere and friendliness between us, uh, whereas other groups had much less of that, and you could definitely tell. How would you define yourself? You were more like the stressful kind of one or more relaxed or...? It varied a lot throughout the PhD. Yeah. Like a lot. There were times when I was so stressed and I was working 12-hour days. There were times when I was... Um, very relaxed and just working like six, seven hour days. It, it varied a lot depending on, on loads of things. And uh, so today it's more about life balance. So can yeah. you tell us how did you manage to get a life balance and what was, if you had any hobbies or anything to keep you sane? Yeah, I, do, I distinctly remember when I first did, started the PhD, I'd just moved to a new city, so I wasn't uh, settled in any clubs or anything and you know making new friends I didn't have like long-term friends in the same city as me and so I you know I'd gone for months without doing the normal hobbies I did so when I was in my undergrad I finished it and I was climbing regularly I was doing judo regularly uh, I was hanging out with friends and drinking regularly you yeah. know uh, um, I was really enjoying the end of my undergrad then I went to the PhD and all of those things stopped because I was in a new city without knowing anyone and I remember the first three months up until Christmas, uh, the first year, so from September to Christmas, being incredibly stressed and having no hobbies, you know, and sort of making friends, but, you know, not, I wasn't best friends with anyone over yeah. those three months. And that was probably like the most stressful part of my PhD was when I had no hobbies, I was doing nothing, I was just like working hard trying to catch up because I hadn't done a master's and a lot of other people had done master's yeah. or had other things. So I, was, I felt very behind at that time. And then I started picking up hobbies again and exercising again, yeah. like after that Christmas. And then I started, uh, for lack of a better word, feeling more sane. Yeah. You know, um, it makes a big difference being able to find the time for those things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, what were you doing? Judo? Climbing? Yeah, so I first got back into doing judo and climbing. The judo only lasted so long because it was a horrible cycle away. Um, so I ended up um, committing a lot more to climbing. And I ended up climbing very regularly for about a year, year and a half after that and doing a lot of it. And I, I really enjoyed that. And I think it helped a lot with the PhD, having this sort of distinct time where you're exercising, doing something that's very productive, but you don't have to think about work. Yeah. You know, so you don't feel like you're slacking off. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I see. Yeah. And um, I mean, I've been climbing myself. Um. <laughs> and I found um, actually the exercise interesting in the sense that you have to find your way up. And uh, sometimes it's not that easy. Yeah. And so I could see a lot of correlation between climbing and doing my PhD because mm. you have to find your way with your own body, with your own strength and with everything yeah. to climb up. Well, it's a sort of constructive problem-solving exercise that has absolutely nothing to do with your PhD, yeah. but you can feel a sense of achievement after a single session. And I think yeah. that's a big deal, because PhD, you might not feel a sense of achievement for years, but exercise or hobby, you can feel that straight away. And I think that's amazing. I also think it's just like meditative. You know, you, you can have time where you can just stop thinking about work. Yeah. And that's okay mm -hmm. when you're exercising. 
you didn't feel any peer pressure from your coworkers when you were taking more time for yourself? Was it okay, you felt, for your PI and for you? I think there was no active peer pressure, but I think there's a lot of imagined peer pressure. You see other people publishing their papers, you see other people working long hours, and you think, what am I missing? You know, yeah. like, what, why, should I be working the 12 hours? Is that how I get my nature paper? <laughs> and to a certain extent, it might be. Um, so there was definitely a lot of that, and I think... A lot of times I ended up, you know, stopping exercising because I felt like I didn't have time and I needed to go back in the lab for 12 hours a day was because I was seeing this sort of like imagined peer pressure. You know, oh, I've got no results to show my PI this week. My PI was lovely about that. But I would feel incredibly stressed about that and I'd be like, oh no, I need to work extra long, more and more hours. Yeah. Yeah. Were, were there any moments that, as you were doing your hobby, it didn't actually bring you anything positive about your PhD? Yes, I mean, uh, climbing, I managed to injure my finger at one point. And uh, as, as, you know, it's only a finger, but that's kind of important in climbing. So I, uh, I ended up not being able to climb as well as I could, mm-hmm. not even slightly. And so I... Uh, it was a very that was very frustrating and that usual sense of achievement you get when you go climbing disappeared yeah and so it became something that was taking up my time but not really benefiting me i mean the same was part of the reason i gave up judo as well was because i got tired of getting injured and you know when you when you get injured that makes the next week miserable if you've got a painful back or yeah you know painful ribs so the things which had a more negative impact on my PhD, the hobbies. Maybe hobbies is the wrong word for it, but I don't know, the outside of work, whatever, was socialising and sort of maintaining healthy relationships with friends and friends that weren't in Norwich where I was doing my PhD and having like a healthy relationship with girlfriends. Uh, that was always something where, whilst I think you're a lot you know, it's required to be a happy person. And if you're a happy person, you're going to work better. It takes up a significant amount of time. Yeah. And so trying to maintain that while you're also trying to maintain hobbies, while you're also trying to do your PhD is incredibly difficult, especially when the more time you put into a PhD, the more results you get. Yeah. So there's always that pushback that like, oh, if you want more results, maybe you should just work those extra four hours and not go hang out with your friends. Or, you know, you can always see your girlfriend tomorrow, not this evening, you know, I think so that that was the more difficult balancing act. Did you have to like cancel a lot uh, with your friends or girlfriends because you wanted to finish in things in the lab? Yeah, I mean I definitely remember like turning up to hang out with friends at nine o'clock at night coming straight from the lab with like wow. a frozen pizza to eat dinner after they had and uh, <laughs> just so I could still hang out with them but you know and then you'd be tired the next day because you you work late and you socialize late as I got into a more stable relationship I realized that like if I wanted to make that work I would have to sacrifice my evenings of working in the lab one thing I did have to sacrifice that was going climbing in the evenings I replaced it completely all of my exercise with going to the gym in the mornings when I got in a relationship because I just couldn't maintain (laughs) seeing a girlfriend in the evening working out in the evening and also seeing friends in the evening and so I yeah it's too much (laughs) too much yeah yeah and definitely towards the end of my PhD I did a lot less working in the evenings just because I realized that no matter how good I am at science I won't be happy unless I have other things in my life as well out of curiosity, did you have any moment that was very stressful in, in, in grad school? I mean, you mentioned the beginning, but after that, 
I'd say there's nothing like, there's no real super distinctive moment. I think there was a period during my third year of the PhD where I realised, you know, I wasn't going to change the world with this work. Oh and yeah? So, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that was always a stressful bit because it was like, okay, I'm changing why I'm doing science. You know, I'm not, I'm no longer doing this because I want to save humanity. I'm doing this because I want to have a happy life and I want to end up in a career that I enjoy. You know, and that that was when sort of, Again, when I started putting more time into my relationships, because I realised that's what would give me a happy life. And what yeah. about today? Do you still have like a life balance like, <laughs> with your new job? How is it going? Can you? Because yeah. you you now you're in California, so again you had to start from scratch your relationships, your hobbies, etc. So can you tell us about it? Yes, I mean uh, obviously. Every time you move to a new city, you kind of have to start from scratch with these things. You have to find new gyms, you have to find places which facilitate your hobbies. And so it's always very stressful moving somewhere new. And that was obviously the stress at the beginning of my PhD. And moving out here to the US was similar, although I'm more mature and able to deal with it better. But there's always that stress of like, right, you're somewhere, you have no friends, no hobbies you know how to climb or you know how to do judo but you haven't found a club for either of those or a place to do them and so there was definitely an adjustment period where I didn't have a regular gym I was going to or I didn't have like even your regular supermarket and the routine with yeah. going to the supermarket you know or you know when I, when I was in my undergrad I'd meet up and drink with my friends when I was in my PhD we'd meet up and play board games you know yeah. like you don't have even the dynamic of your friendship group sorted out And so that's always a very stressful period. But I think things are now settled in. So I've been here a year now. And like I have a good routines, like I'm going to the gym in the mornings and then in the evenings I do stuff which works in, in relationships, whether that's with a partner or with friends. I think I'm able to maintain that healthy work-life balance. There was a period as well, actually, at the start of, the PA, uh, start of this job where, again, because I didn't have the the hobbies set up and the friendship set up, I did start working crazy hours yeah. and getting very stressed and, again, for lack of a better word, feeling a bit insane <laughs> until I then got my hobbies going. Yeah, did you recognize this pattern that you were yeah. like going back in and you were like, wait a second, I'm repeating that again? Absolutely. And I, I, I got out of it reasonably quickly because I remembered in my PhD the thing that had got me out was starting exercising again, starting seriously exercising again. And so I did that again with the here I was like okay I'm feeling a bit crazy but that's because I haven't been to the gym for a while I haven't gone climbing for a while and so I started getting back into those things more seriously and again like that helped a lot having that work-life balance sort of and what about your family because now they're quite like far away from you so how do you manage your relationships with them yeah so that's difficult I mean obviously there's the family but also every friend I've made is yeah. on the other side of the world other than the ones I've made here of course but every every friend from England is now eight hours time difference away so I can only talk to them in the morning and I'm not a morning person so, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I think like it would be very easy to lose contact with everyone because it can be very isolating um, having that time difference but for example with my family we've been very good about having regular Skypes we or, or Google Hangouts or whatever we we talk every week without fail on a Saturday or a Sunday um, And I think like that regularity, you know, it, maintaining relationships doesn't happen naturally. You have to really work at it. And that's us really working at that. Like making that time isn't easy, but 
I think it's super important if I want to maintain relationships with people on the other side of the world. And so I do that as well with my friends. We're not quite as regular as with my family, but I do still try and ring my friends reasonably often so I can have good catch-ups with them. Just because, you know, at best I'll see them once a year. Yeah, exactly. So, when you come back. Exactly. So it's important to maintain it otherwise. And you really do have to put actively put time into it. But. What would you be your take-home message if you want to reach out for people who are doing a PhD and they are seeking for life balance, but are either think that this is not necessary or they have difficulties to book it in place like any take-home message for them what could it be from your experience i guess like work at maintaining those relationships with people it's so easy to when when you realize that spending an extra two hours in the lab a day might help you get your next paper the first thing that's easy to sacrifice is maintaining relationships with people the first thing is easy to sacrifice is just not go hang out with your friends or not ring your mum that evening or, mm -hmm. you know, not get on Tinder and try and talk to people. Instead, just spend that extra two hours in the lab and it's just, don't do it. It's not worth it. You want to maintain relationships rather than spend an extra two hours in the lab because so what if you get a few extra papers out of your PhD? It makes a big difference for your career, but are you going to be a happier person? Well, that was Tom. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Yeah. That was a. That was a. Thank you very much. And, oh, thank you. Um, Enjoyed yeah, it. The, Enjoyed that would well. definitely make a difference for people who are listening to us. <laughs> thank you for listening. The secret life of a graduate student. Next week, Megan is interviewing Sergey Boyarsky, a gamer from UC Berkeley, who found a balance between all-night board gaming and finishing his degree. See you soon. Bye-bye.